Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome. My name is Aaron Moniz, and I'm here with my co-host, Blake Dean, and you are listening to New Voices of Mutuality Matters, hosted by CBE International. Here with us today, we have two guests who co-authored a book that we are excited to introduce you to. We have Beth Birmingham, who is a professor, leader, consultant, author, speaker, and facilitator slash steering committee member at the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development. She spent 25 years developing leaders for and serving in global development organizations, work that has taken her to over 30 countries. She's a member of the Wheaton Consortium for Development, Gender, and Christianity. She holds a PhD in Leadership and Change from Antioch University and an MBA in International Economic Development from Eastern University. And with her today is Ava Salonen Simard, a project director of World Relief's Scope Project that works in Haiti, Kenya, Malawi, and South Sudan to support health outcomes for mothers and babies. She has worked with nonprofits for 10 years and is committed to excellence in management, communication, and employee well-being. Ava is an advisor for the Wheaton Consortium for Development, Gender, and Christianity, and a steering committee member for the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development. Ava holds an MS in International Politics from the University of Helsinki and an MBA from John Hopkins University, and they together co-authored the book Creating Cultures of Belonging, Cultivating Organizations Where Women and Men Thrive. Welcome to the podcast, Beth and Ava. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before we jump into talking about this fabulous book, as all of our listeners know, it is time for Watch, Read, or Listen. So, Blake Dean, what are you watching, reading, or listening to? So I've, I'm in uh, my second semester of my MDiv program, so school takes up most of my time. So anytime that I am not like actively learning Greek, I'm going back to the old faithfuls. So these are Catherine Hepburn films and jazz. <laughs> so that is what I've been watching and listening to. <laughs> this surprises no one. No listeners of our podcast are shocked in any way by this response. That's fantastic. What about you? Yes. So I actually, and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but every time a new season of The Marvelous Miss Maisel comes out, I, I tend to follow. And this, the last season just dropped uh, not long ago on Amazon. And I enjoyed getting to sort of watch how that how that rounded out. Um, the topic of friendship is one, of course, you guys know that I'm very invested in. And I really kind of love the way they ended the series because it, it mm. speaks very much to the topic of friendship. So really enjoyed that. Um, it's, it's, it's not for the faint of heart, you know, so, so, you know, watchers, you know, use your discretion, but that's something that I have been watching recently. And so now I'd like to, uh, ask our two guests this. So, uh, let's start with you, Beth. What is something you're watching, reading, or listening to? So watching, uh, I'm on vacation sort of this week. So Ted Lasso, the final season. Fantastic. Um, I got about halfway through. It's so, it's <laughs> so, so good. Uh, it is so good. The humor so is just so good. well done. And then listening, um, this may be an oldie. I don't know when it was done, but I'm listening to Ruth Haley Barton's book mm. on retreat. Because part yeah. of this week has been an um, intentional spiritual retreat for me. So mm. I love her voice. And I love the fact that they let her record her own book. Like mm. Ava and I... Um, 
I don't know if we even had an option. I can't recall, but somebody else is our uh, narrator on our book and I've not listened to it yet, but um, yeah, Ruth has such a delightful, calming voice. Mm. And so I've been thoroughly enjoying that because I've met her once and you get that feeling like you're in a room with her, you know, it's kind of nice. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. And what about you, Ava? What are you watching, reading or listening to right now? Okay, so I'll, I I would have said um, Ted Lasso as well. Um, <laughs> Beth, Beth took that Beth took one. It. Yeah, <laughs> fully fully endorse that. Um, I am reading the new Seth Godin book, oh, and I can't yeah. find the name. Um, I'm gonna I'm coming to come come up with it during this uh, during this time with you guys. But he's he's so inspiring, and I love reading mm. his things. Um, the last one, shipping your work, was amazing, mm. and he writes in these tiny mm. little vignettes and gives these like incredible, um, inspirational um, nuggets of wisdom. And I will find the the name of the book that I'm reading from him. It's around teams. It's mm. around um, creating awesome teams. So it's all 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 I'm about right now. So oh, that's great. That's great. We love it. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you both for sharing and thank you both for being here. Um, something interesting, fun fact is that Beth has been on Mutuality Matters before with our own Kim and Mimi. So if you haven't gotten to listen to her other um, expose podcast, you should definitely go back and check that out. It is on the podcast player that you listen to. Um, but today we get to have her back with Ava to talk specifically about this wonderful book, um, Creating Cultures of Belonging. And uh, listeners who are regulars on this thread know that a lot of times the gender theology books that we focus on uh, tend to be really geared towards biblical studies or, or theology, uh, history, other um, books that tackle some of the big issues that we're dealing with in these uh, theological spaces. But what I love about this book is that is incredibly practical and concrete, even though it does include some uh, look into history, biblical studies, and theology as part of an understanding overall of why we encounter things um, in cultures and our missional spaces um, that might uh, cause inequity. And so uh, for my first question, can you tell us a little bit about what prompted the creation of this book and how it has inspired the work that you do currently with your orga- with organization, the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development? I can start that one for us, Ava. Um, Ava and I both have served with the Wheaton Consortium for Gender, Christianity, and Development uh, since 2018, I think was our first gathering. And it's a smaller um, group, of sort of a think tank on how do we move the needle Hmm. uh, in this space and how do we collect good research and data. Um, And so I think that work prompted us both to be doing presentations in 2019 at Christians for Biblical Equality's National Conference. And InterVarsity was in the audience and said, you know, we really need a book on this subject. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough. Um, for for my presentation, it was we don't have enough female professors um, with PhDs in leadership because mm-hmm. CBE does attract a lot of theologians. Nice. Uh, and so I said, you know, we would love to do this together. And that sort of sparked it. But also it, it stems from a much longer journey. Um, Ava and I have both worked in and around the development sector for many years, and we're fully aware of how many times we've started and tried and, and, and the sector has started and tried to be more 
uh, gender just when it comes mm-hmm. to women in their roles. And then an earthquake hits or a tsunami hits or, you know, mm-hmm. there's always something that backburners it. So this whole area of gender equality is a sensitive topic. And when you're facing a sector that is led, you know, 90% by the same gender and the same you know, racial profile, there's not a, whole, a lot of impetus um, mm. for change, you know, and when, you know, good will and words of changes coming, you know, are then met with another a earthquake somewhere and another disaster somewhere. Um, you just see, you know, for 20 years, how many false starts we've had. And so I think the reason for the book was really saying, you know, it's not just one thing. It's mm. not just theology. You know, this is a systemic problem in the sector that needs a systems approach to address it. Mm. So that was the one piece. The other piece would be the fact that we were getting all this good data out of the McKinsey research. Mm-hmm. So every few years they do their new study on, on diversity and they followed the same you know number of corporations for 20 some years and were able to say those that are more diverse perform better and they mm-hmm. perform better in these different ways. And people would always ask us, well, why don't we have that kind of data for the faith-based development sector? And so, you know, part of this book is in response to um, some of the challenges. Again, it needs a systemic lens mm-hmm. and approach to uh, tracking this. So, yeah, Ava, anything you'd like to add to that thought? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I'll just add, like, we wrote this during covid And, you know, I think it was like a common thread among folks who were trying to create content or create something during that, that session, that section that we all live through, you know, like, what will life look like after this? Like, will we emerge out of this? You know, like, will these things, themes even be relevant anymore? (laughs) Right? Like, you know, like, are we going to? discover to, you know, discover some new way of being as a humanity. And no, we have not, you know, the situation was, you know, the same or even worse. And the pressures on women in the workplace are even worse as we've come out of this, just because of the the caregiving responsibilities and the burden on women. So as much as we would like to say, oh, we're getting better and things are improving it's just sort of like for women, they're just not improving. So mm-hmm. we we felt like we need this more than ever. And yeah. even though there's a lot out there, you know, along these lines uh, around this theme, we need we need everyone needs to be all hands on deck with this issue because women, you know, it's it's too much. It's too much to bear, and we need to make women's lives in organizations more tolerable. Yeah. And we we need to make uh, leaders see what they can do to improve the conditions of women in our organization. So I, we feel very strongly that this is a very current theme. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Even beyond leaders in our organizations, there there's skin in the game for every part of the system in development organizations. So you notice in the book, we talk specifically to boards and board mm. members 
<laughs> they hire the CEOs. They continue to hire the same exact profile of what's been mm-hmm. sitting at the top of the chart for 75 years in the, right. in America, at least. Um, there's skin in the game for donors. Every one of us who says we're all about gender equality, we're all about racial equality, yet we still give to the same organizations whose mm-hmm. leadership profile is mono-gendered and mono-singular you know, race. How uh, our words have to match our actions for foundations who say that they are supportive of more women in leadership. And yet their major grants are all to organizations that are predominantly male led. Mm. It's an inconsistency. So in the book, we call all of these um, actors to examine their practices and make some very practical suggestions on how to change some of that. Yeah, I think I don't know if our listeners will be shocked um, when they read your book and learn how much sexism is still ingrained in our organizations. Although perhaps we will be shocked, perhaps they will be shocked. Um, But is there anything that surprised either of you as you were researching and writing for this book about the magnitude of sexism? You've been in the sector for so long, or is it just the same kind of part and parcel of what, what we've been swimming in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, either one of us were shocked. The one stat that shocked me um, was from when we researched um, a 2020 study on sexual harassment in the Christian workplace. Hmm. Um, The study stated that only uh, 42% of those who experience sexual harassment in the workplace have no intention of ever filing a complaint. Hmm. 42%. And that, so that's really significant, I would say, and something that should bring concern to yeah. missional workplaces that, you know, these instances are probably happening at the same rate everywhere, but right. that, you know, in our organizations, women just choose to stay, stay silent, um, even as the Me Too movement has sort of made it mainstream to report Um yeah in the secular sector. So I think that's a, that's a concerning statistic and should concern any organizational leader. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that one didn't surprise me, sadly. So I've taught, I've been a professor of leadership for 20 years and there's all kinds of books written on bad leadership and why we go, we as followers, I always teach followership, why we as followers go along with it. It takes a lot of emotional labor and a lot of internal energy to challenge any status quo and to challenge power. And so whenever you are starting to, to even question, you're looking around your organization going, who can I even safely say anything to? Right. And as soon as you start that process, there's no going back. And as much as we would like to think that our organizations have great processes in place, most mid to smaller organizations have lousy processes for whistleblowers. Say it again. For care, you know, for making sure that uh, trauma care is attended to. And so even the large organizations don't do it very well because, you know, there needs to be a check and balance for making sure that false claims aren't made and such. But if it's an internal ombudsman, You assume that that person ultimately at some point has to report to the board and the CEO. It's an external company. 
um, they don't necessarily know or aren't given permission to do their proper due diligence right. and to talk with all the people involved that they should be talking to. So that's number one is the breakdown. And the second part of that is as soon as you then are known to have raised this question, particularly around gender, particularly right. around mm. women's equality, as soon as you raise it, you may get affirmation for a month. But slowly but surely, the marginalization process happens. Mm -hmm. It would be lovely to check and see how many women who have raised this call in their organization, how many stayed with the organization after six months, after nine months, after a year, when suddenly they notice they're not eligible for, they're not getting promotions, they're not getting called on you know, to be mm -hmm. part of strategic teams, et cetera. So mm -hmm. it's, such a, it's such a systemic toxicity Mm -hmm. that it'll either get you and shoot you dead right from the start yeah. or it'll kill you slowly, <laughs> but yeah. career wise, yeah. you know, um, career wise, the impact is the same. Yes, It's why I, so many of our friends are not, are, are not bothering to work in faith-based organizations. They say exactly they're treated true. better in the secular world. Mm. And yeah. that breaks my heart because that's Absolutely. not, that's not what Jesus wants, but. No, um, this is why I really appreciate the book and why I really enjoyed reading it. Um, because in, in many ways, uh, you, you guys using this, all this wonderful data, you outline these risks, but also provide these very practical and concrete solutions. Mm -hmm. There's this wonderful chart in the book that walks through how to really, uh, to, to, to create cultures, literally as the title suggests to create cultures of belonging. Um, but, uh, but in these very practical ways, uh, walking through all these different areas of, of organizational leadership um, for folks who might be listening to this right now and think, I feel like that's me where I am, but there's this sense of helplessness and I'm just not sure what to do with it. I would recommend um, this book because there are, there's, there's a, there's a real imagination for change mm. that is, is brought to light in this book in ways that um, are just outlined so, so beautifully and, uh, and we're going to get into a little bit of that here, but first we're going to take a moment and pause to hear about some exciting things happening with our hosts, CBE International. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. Mikkel, a lovesick teenage princess, strategized to save David's life. In the same way warriors submit to battle plans, David submitted to Mikkel's tactical genius. After she lowered him through the window by her own strength, Mikhail stood courageously before Saul as David fled for his life. Learn more at RadioWomen.org. And we are back and excited to uh, be talking about creating cultures of belonging um, with our guests today. And, and, and I, I really, I'm kind of going to get into the weeds a little bit on this one area of the book, because I just really appreciate that you address it um, and talk about it. Uh, towards the end of the book, you... Uh, address male allies and just allyships uh, generally. But we have some wonderful men who listen in to this podcast because they are really serious about gender equity and they really mm -hmm. want to, to move forward in this and, and, and be better and be, be supportive um, in these attempts. And so can you share a little bit, one or two of the classic missteps that an ally might mistakenly make when attempting to be supportive? Um, yeah, I think 
one of the things we see often is I think men, especially men who have held power, feel like they are most useful when they are at the center of the conversation, even if they're attempting to be an advocate for the issue, but they, they still consider that they should center themselves because they have power and they have relationships and they have networks and they have the ability to potentially help women. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of like, sometimes that's very helpful. And even at the Alliance and in, in organizations, we do rely on men who are going to go sort of to battle for us and to go into rooms where we cannot go into with this message and they will bring, bring the message. So we really rely on them. But in the long run, the goal is to decenter the old structures of power and to bring new, new leaders into our organizations and into our Mm -hmm. communities. And, um, so interesting, we were at the Wheaton consultation meeting this spring, and we were sort of uh, critiquing these papers that many of our colleagues had written and, you know, great new research sort of emerging and, and like great tools that people were mm. sort of proposing. And, and we were like, how do we, how do we stop these from becoming just tools in the current leaders toolkits? You know, how do we say to those folks, these are not your tools. You need right. to center the women who are creating this because women are needed to lead on these issues. We will not make the progress we need to get to if the same folks lead. The whole point of a cre- culture of belonging is that new folks are centered hmm. and new leadership tables are created where greater create creativity prevails. And a homogenous table will not create the, uh, create the kind of creative belonging table we are looking for here. Um, so decentering yourself as a male ally, it takes a lot of guts mm-hmm. because you're in essence letting go of a pattern you may have held your entire career, your entire life, where you have to fight for your piece of the pie, you have to make sure you are sitting at the table. Um, and so it's a, it's a new paradigm. We're, right. we're telling, telling the guys, like, it's a new paradigm. Like, what would it mean for you to pass the mic to someone else to say to a, to a female leader that you, you take this, this is yours. Yeah. I'm passing the baton. I'm giving this to you. And you're sort of putting yourself to the side um, and I think there's there's a really sweet segment in the book, and Beth was sort of birthed that idea of like, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to give up power, and what does it mean to 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 say, I don't need to be, I don't necessarily have to be the one to see this through. I don't need to be the one at the center here. Um, and and Beth, you say this so well, but like, does it mean that God will no longer bless you? Mm-hmm. That God will no longer bless your career and your trajectory if you you pass the platform and the mic to someone else, you know. And that's the invitation. It's even the invitation for Beth and I, because we're sort of tenured leaders in the sector and we're white women, you know. And it means right. for us to say, 
we are not the ones who should, you know, we wrote a book, we entered the conversation. We are not the ones who are supposed to be leading this in the next decade. It should be young women, young women of color who are leading. And we are simply facilitating and passing the mic to the next person. So for all of us, it's like a new leadership where we're not looking for that power, that place of authority for ourselves, but we're looking for it for, to give it to someone else. Amen. Yeah. And it's so, it's so countercultural for Americans in particular because of our uh, idolatry over work and the identity that we get from work. And so in the book, you know, and I borrow the phrase and he didn't coin it either, but Craig Stewart, and we talk about what does it mean to die to self? I don't hold these same expectations of people who work in secular spaces and people who don't follow Jesus because they're not claiming, you know, that they have Jesus as their model. But if you say you're going to be doing work in Jesus name, you had better hell be doing it in Jesus way (laughs) (laughs) because it's just so, it's just so contradictory to the model that he, you know, puts forward. And so what does it mean to die to self? And it's hard. Mm. Indeed. It's, you know, it's fear filled. It's who am I without my title? What do I do if I'm not making this huge salary to provide for my family? And yet, why, why don't we have a Kenyan woman as the chief information officer for XNGO? Why don't we have, God, let me live long enough to see the day where an African woman is the CEO of World Vision, of Habitat mm. for Humanity, right. of Compassion International. I'm picking on all the big guys right now. <laughs> why not? Yeah. We're, we're guests in their countries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Right. And I think the, not only, it, not only is it countercultural and gospel centric, also for the work of those organizations, it just makes the most sense. Like it, it centers yes. the work as well as yes. particular individuals. And I think that's, yeah. um, that's something um, that's really, that's an interesting dynamic at play, right? Whereas, in creating or sustaining a culture of belonging at the end of the day, it's, it's making the important things important and setting aside the other things that we have made people that look like me or sound like me um, have made so central, which is my position, my authority um, that you haven't even had to fight for that. You've just been kind of ushered forward through and to kind of to take a quick left turn. Eva, you mentioned earlier uh, briefly about writing during um, the COVID-19 pandemic and kind of the ways that that affects um, this work, this book, but also kind of the work moving forward and the, the, the moment and the place in the world we live in. I wonder if you could speak a little bit more on that um, and um, just share a bit how the pandemic has either shifted our structures to be bent more, more towards belonging or further away from belonging or how or is it a, was it neutral? I don't imagine it's neutral, but I'd like to, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I think like from anecdotally, I think the sort of the burden that the pandemic caused, you know, women and and children and mm. and sort of the gaps in schooling, especially here in the U.S., like 
that's significant and we're yet yeah. to see what the what the consequences of all of that is i mean we're starting to see some of it in even test scores and in even um different things in in our big cities right in the us um right. but like we don't know yet what that will all look like but a lot of that burden will fall again on on women and on families mm-hmm. yeah. um so um I'm encouraged to see even the current administration and the really serious legislation they're taking around childcare and um, just taking care work um, seriously and creating legislation um, around it. Um, I think that's going to go a long way for women. So, um, so those types of things. Um, and as much as organizations, you know, can keep those things around care work, the extra work on women, uh, whether they sh- that work shows up in the organization around, mm. there is such a thing as care work inside of our organizations. Yes. Um, and that, that women are sort of aware that they're doing this 25% extra work um, right. just because it's expected of them as women. Uh, but right. then also, you know, making women's lives um, easier um, through legislation, or how can organizations come alongside women um, right. and make sure that their work could, can be flexible, can acknowledge the fact that they are more than our beloved CEO colleague says, more than just one thing. Each mm-hmm. employee in our organizations is more than one one thing. We are so many things. All of those things need to be acknowledged. Um because a person is just going to burn out if we ignore right. that there's this whole other segment of this woman's life, you know, and we just don't want to even hear about it, you know. And so that's important. Any organization who wants to be serious about recruiting top talent mm-hmm. as a result of this pandemic needs to take these things like serious as a heart attack. Like this yeah. is like these are the tools by which you will get the top talent millennial women. And women, yeah. these, these women will no longer go into organizations where they're being you know, exploited and asked to do all this extra work and they're not being acknowledged um, and their lives are not being respected. Um, for example, I would say an organization that's considering giving up flexibility, virtual options, ability to live in different parts of the country, you know, close by to their parents and their um, family members, like those days are over guys. Like don't even imagine that you can be competitive in the long run. If you don't get on this bandwagon, I, and whenever I hear about these big tech organizations and even, even bigger organizations in our own sector, you know, who are, summoning people back into the cubicle i'm so discouraged um because that's just the wrong direction so i would say to women you know really negotiate negotiate your terms make sure that you ask for the things you need don't just get in there because it's a flashy organization and a flashy title like negotiate because i feel like there's a lot lot more now people are realizing about the reality of work yeah. And I, the only thing I would add to that, um, it's the often overlooked day-to-day interaction between supervisor and supervisee. So, so much about how we experience work is how we experience our supervisor. And 
while you can create policies at the macro organizational level, if you've got an, an org, uh, a supervisor who doesn't know how to um, demonstrate emotional intelligence when they're managing their you know employees, so they never ask about how are you feeling you know personally today, how's how's life in your family going, like those kinds of com- uh, conversations make you know many people uncomfortable because we haven't been equipped for that when it comes to supervisory training. So one of the first things and critical things I would recommend to organizations is really look at how are you equipping and training supervisors to do whole person care? Not just are you meeting your de- your deadlines, are you meeting your quotas, are you achieving your organizational goals? But, you know, how's your soul? Um how are you managing, you know, with all the things in your life that you are balancing? And are there any ways that, you know, we can help to help that balance? And that's for every supervisor from the CEO to his team that he supervises. And I'll say his for now, because that is the predominant, <laughs> uh, yeah, pronoun. Um, to anybody who manages anybody, are we equipping these people to manage humans and not just manage what, you know, employees that are productivity units. Yeah, no, this is, this is wonderful. I thank you both so much for um, coming on and sharing this today. Uh, this is just such, uh, this just scratches the surface of, of what uh, is part of your work and what is captured in your book. And we want to uh, encourage readers to go to the CBE bookstore and pick up your own copy of Creating Cultures of Belonging and to also follow the work of both Beth and Ava through the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development. We want to thank you both for being with us today and uh, thank, thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear weekly from our co-hosts and other themes as we develop content on gender theology for the gospel empowerment of men and women. And be sure to follow CBE International on social media. You should also go to their website for even more content, subscribe to their blog, magazine, and academic journal, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you should go visit their bookstore where you can find these talented authors and so many others on subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. And we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. I am Aaron Moniz with my co-host Blake Dean, and we are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 